transition to our next of today. If you're online with us, and I know there's a whole slew of our family that's homesick or has folks in town, just know that we miss you and we love you and we're all thinking of you. Um, and if you need anything this week, to please let us know because it's not fun to be sick. Our kids are going to be dismissed at this time. We've got two groups. If you are of nursery age children, they can already be upstairs with Miss April. Make sure you get a security beeper in case she needs you. We have two groups, pre-K to first and second to fifth. You will meet your teachers in the lobby. Perla and Linda are ready. Parents, please make sure that you have checked your child in and gotten, again, that pager tag so that if they need to contact you while your kiddo is upstairs for the bathroom or whatever, that they can reach you. Otherwise, it's chaos. And none of us want chaos, right? God bless all the teachers and the support staff and administrators who kicked off school this week and all of our kiddos because it was a big to-do. And isn't it so cool, Susanna has launched us into having a full kids program again on Sunday mornings. Like, that is so exciting and also a lot of work. So if you volunteer in Kidsmen and you're downstairs, thank you. Please be sure to thank the people upstairs, even if you don't have kids, because you were a kid once and somebody invested in you, even if it wasn't at church. I will take my earring out. I can already hear it. I don't even see Dan to smugly be like, um, all right, so if I haven't seen you guys, my name is Brittany, and I'm the lead pastor here. I was away on annual leave, so I think it's been like five weeks since I've been up to share a message. Um, feeling very refreshed and happy to be back and happy for fall to be kicking off. If you're online, please use that online Connect card. And if you're here in person, use the physical Connect card, use the online one, get the app, whatever you need to connect with us outside of Sunday morning, because this is cool. Good stuff happens here, but so much more life happens in the day-to-day -day comings and goings of our weeks. We are in a journey through the Bible. If you haven't been with us, if this is your first Sunday or your first Sunday tuning in, we kicked off going through the book of Genesis back in January. We have been plodding right along. I give you guys a lot of credit because the Old Testament is intense, and you guys have done really well as we've been moving on to it. And Perla began us last week in this kind of transition. We, we started and did a lot of the narrative, which is basically like a history book. So I wouldn't read it purely like a history book, but that's essentially what that first part of the Old Testament is like. Now we are transitioning to the prophets, starting in Isaiah. And that's an entirely different literary style. How many of you had to read Shakespeare in high school? At least a saw, yeah, Malika's like, I remember, Dan. How many of you didn't read Shakespeare in high school? God bless you. That is the unit in literature, don't tell Susanna this, that I nearly failed. This is really important because if you also nearly failed or are failing, in the back we'll tutor you. Um, Shakespeare is a, it's just written so differently than the way you'd read, say, like a Facebook post or a newspaper, right? There's lots of imagery and metaphors and symbols. And every time I read Shakespeare, I'm like, just say what you need to say. And it's all this flower and it's veiled and I, I I really disliked it for a long time. I don't know that I've gotten any better at it, but my point is this. If you go into the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Minor Prophets, and you read them like a textbook, you read them with this literal set of eyes, then you will have weird theology and bad interpretations because it's not narrative. It is poetry. 
And so it's extreme and it's grandiose and it's imaginative and it wasn't meant to be like read and treated like a manuscript or, or an instruction manual or a textbook. It was meant to be engaged with as ancient Jewish poetry. And since none of us grew up as ancient Jews, I mean, even the best looking of you who are older are not that old, we need to learn how to read it appropriately, which is what the team is going to help us to do. It's going to take us a while, if we're honest, to get through all of the prophets. And so what we want to do is help you put that new set of glasses on so you can read the prophets, understand their poetry and their imagery, and have a real appreciation for it without becoming weird. Let's just put it nicely. Without becoming weird as you're reading through the Old Testament and like walking around being really scared of stuff. So my task today is to get us through Isaiah 13 to 39, which is sort of like the second major chunk of his book. And if you're anything like me, which I will not put on any of you, but sometimes I read the Bible and I forget that the people who partnered with God to write these books were people. You're like Isaiah. It's the book of Isaiah. Well, Isaiah is an interesting guy. He actually grew up fairly wealthy. He had pretty easy access to royalty. He was married. He had kids. Like, he was a real human being with parents, not just like this ghostwriter that put this book together. And the interesting thing about that is he ends up becoming a prophet. And prophets, the closest thing I can kind of correlate them to in our society would be like a civil rights activist. Prophets in their day, in their time, were speaking hard truth, and people hated them because of it. So they would speak truth to power, speak truth to religion, speak truth to the public, and they were absolutely disdained. They were rejected, they were isolated, they were condemned, they were ignored, they were beaten, a lot like civil rights leaders of our time. And so for Isaiah's parents, who had kind of raised him to be highly educated, they probably thought their son was going to have a nice, cushy job and a pretty comfortable life. And for him to choose to be a prophet was a really radical switch. And I want us to remember that as we're reading, because the reason that Isaiah totally surrendered his life and said, I will do this crazy thing, I will be a prophet with all the, the things that comes with, is because he had such a powerful personal interaction with God that Perla talked about last Sunday that absolutely changed his heart. In Isaiah 6, 8, we just hear this. It's this interaction where he has this vision of heaven and God touches his mouth, which I know Perla shared. But the result of that is, is Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. He was so impacted by the power of engaging with the living God that he let his whole life go in order to serve God exactly where God called him, which was in a really hard calling. And so we need to remember that as we think about everything Isaiah is writing and the time frame that he's writing in. He was so moved by the presence of God, it so changed his heart that he wanted other people to see and know and be in line with the heart of God. And so he becomes this prophet with these messages from the Lord that essentially are just that. Turn back to the one who loves you more than anything because you're running down a path that is going to destroy you. And so just for a little bit more, if you're trying to wrap your brain still around the prophets and the timeline and all of that, he emerges in the last year of King Isaiah's reigns. So if you're trying to think chronologically, this is like Second Kings and Second Chronicles. 
specifically like 740 to 681, 87-ish BC. We're not really sure when Isaiah departs the scene, but it's roughly in 680-something. Um, and he is a contemporary of the prophet Micah. So the minor prophets are only called minor because their books are shorter, not because they were like losers and less than in the prophetic crowd. Um, so Isaiah and Micah are writing at the same time and basically in the same dynamic. So this morning, we'll get the middle section of him read, and then uh, Jim is going to follow us up and finish the last part of Isaiah next week. We'll have Putty the Sunday after, and then we'll kick off into the book of, I think, Ezekiel. Ezekiel and then Jeremiah. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll jump into text. God, we just thank you that you love us, and you really want us to engage appropriately with the things that you have recorded. Um, they're not meant to be a mystery in the sense that you want us to really know how to engage. So help our modern American brains connect with your ancient Jewish poets and prophets and really grasp the depth of your heart that we can find in this text. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just go back to what Perla basically said last week, one of the core things she said, because it is Isaiah's primary message, and it is repeated over and over and over and over and over. It's rather redundant, in fact, if you read the book of Isaiah. God is holy, and the Israelites are not. <laughs> that is Isaiah's primary message. God is holy, and he's seen the holiness of God, and it has changed his life, but the people that he lives among, well... They had an opportunity, they just kind of didn't take it. And so he comes with these messages. But before we jump in, I want to know how you would define the word holiness. I'm going to grab a tissue while you think about that. You can shout it out. Set apart. Set apart. Oh, I like that one. Purity. It's a really important part of this book, so we really should have a working definition, right? Otherwise, we're just kind of... I could say holy a lot, and today would be not very meaningful. Wholeness. Thank you, Rob. I like that one, too. What else? God is holy. What does that mean to you? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, worthy of our praise, Erica. Thank you. Regal. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I want to ask our youth... Our young people, when you hear the word holy, what do you think of? Malik is thinking. You can take a minute. You don't have to answer instant. It's a, I don't know. It's, I don't feel like that's a word young people use. So when I say holy, what do you think? What, what, do, you, what do you like correlate it with? Clean or pure. Okay. Nice. Good. Okay. So we have pretty specific ideas when we think of the word holiness pure set apart clean holy nobody said sinless but that has popped up before um, worthy of worship you know we kind of have this idea of like ah oh, something that's perfect something that's worthy of us giving attention to something special barb Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Isaiah was just a normal guy, which is what makes the prophets so interesting, is they are people behind all these really amazing things we read. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the religious were not the ones he'd called. But the interesting thing about Isaiah's storyline is we're like thinking about God is holy and that's the big message he comes with is that the second half of his message is Isaiah is that the Israelites are not. And at this point, remember, the kingdoms are broken. So you have Israel in the north and you have Judah in the south. So if I talk about the Israelites, I'm talking about both. But really, Isaiah is speaking to Judah and Jerusalem. He's talking to the southern tribes. And he says, you have failed to live up to God's holiness in three really key ways. The first is that you don't trust God. There's a total lack of trust in him. The, the second piece kind of flows out of that. Because you don't trust God, you're embracing idols. And please don't think of just like little weird statues. Idols are anything that we place our hope our trust, our loving, that is not God. So that can be relationships, it can be our career, it can be our money, it can be anything, not just little statues. And then because they were embracing idols, what happens is it corrupts their society. So basically the third thing that happens because they don't trust God, they're turning to idols, is their society becomes oppressive, it becomes terrible if you're a marginalized person. There is no justice. There is no order. It is greed and selfish, and it is broken. And so Isaiah says, because God is holy, he cannot allow those things to persist. He cannot let a world that is so turned against him keep going without some type of disciplinary action. And I think that's what we often think of with holiness. We're like, because God is holy and perfect, if we're not holy and perfect, there's going to be some type of judgment or condemnation or wrath or whatever comes to your mind. And I think that that is true. Isaiah does talk about an exile that is coming in chapter 39. He says, basically, you guys have gotten to the point where you're not going to really be fixable here. So God's going to take you out and bring you back. And in that season of time, you will be restored. But the second piece of holiness that we often seem to miss is absolutely interwoven into every one of Isaiah's prophecies. And I think it is deeply important for us to recognize that because God is holy, he is going to bring about forms. I think I might have just died. Maybe not. Because God is holy, he is going to deal with us when we are not living according to his way. But because he is holy, that type of discipline always ends with redemption. Holiness is not just piety. Holiness is corrective. We have to realize this, that when God says, I am holy, it's not just this idea of like, I am pure and set apart. He says, I am pure and set apart. And so because I don't function like you, I will discipline you to make you whole. I'm not interested in being punitive because you're not matching up to the way that I am. I am interested in bringing you into my holiness with me even if that means refinement, even if that means bringing you through a season of challenge, because I'm trying to strip away all of the stuff that is actually killing you. And that is what true holiness is. It brings us to redemption. And we we'll see that as we read through all of these uh, sections in Isaiah. I basically break it into two. Is Isaiah 13 to 27 are warnings or oracles or visions that were written specifically to the nations. 
Remember, these are the nations that were specific to the time that we're writing. They don't have modern day implications. You know, we're talking about the actual Babylon, the actual Assyria, the actual neighbors of Judah. And so first you run into this oracle to Babylon, and the reason they come first is they're not super important at the moment, but they are going to be the nation that is going to bring Judah into exile. And so Isaiah puts that oracle first. The second ends up being Assyria, and Assyria was the primary international power in Isaiah's day. This is the major threat to his people, are the Assyrians. And so there's an oracle that's written against them. And then next you get a couple shorter ones that basically cover uh, Philistia, Moab, and Damascus. And then there's this extended oracle or vision or poem, however you want to phrase it, that's written to Egypt and Cush. And Judah gets wrapped into this one, and it's interesting because what happens is at one point, Judah doesn't trust God for their political safety, and they turn to Egypt instead. And so when God issues this, like, judgment against Egypt, he includes Judah in it, and it's not just to them. He shifts back, Isaiah shifts back to Babylon and Jerusalem's relationship before he wraps up. And so I want to just remember, like, you're, you're going to read through this if you, when you read through it, I don't know. Um, and you're going to go, like, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of destruction, injustice, brokenness. And it's very easy to get disheartened and really think, like, the holiness of God is tied to wrath and anger and judgment. And I don't like the prophets, and they're very scary. But you have to recognize and understand the heart of God underneath it if you're going to read through and interpret this well. And so what happens is this chunk of judgment is specifically tied to chapters 24 to 27, which is a distant future vision where Isaiah isn't talking about the present day. He's like looking so far down the road that he doesn't know the timeline on it. Um, in the church, they call this our eschatology or end times or like revelation. I don't really care what you call it. Just know that it's referenced often in the Old Testament as the day of the Lord, and it has not happened yet. So basically everything in the chapters before this, it's already happened. It's already been done. You're not waiting for it. Only in this small section here in Isaiah are we like, oh, I don't think that's come yet because it hasn't. And it's in this moment where God says, despite all of the judgment, despite all of the discipline, despite all of the consequences that the nations will face for turning away from me, I will bring them home. Because God's reason for creating humanity is to create a family for himself. He does not delight in us doing things outside of his will that cause us to live in the consequence. That does not bring him any joy. God does not take joy out of sin or the things that we do wrong and then punishing us. He's not crazy. He's not the parent that would just beat somebody because he felt like it. That is not how he operates. And so at the end of this, this section is this powerful time of hope where in it, Isaiah has a picture of the nations acknowledging that Jesus is king, that God is Lord, and eating a feast together with his people on Mount Zion. The picture we have is God in pursuit of a family, and he's like, my family's acting a little crazy. We're going to do some timeouts, and then they're going to come back to the table and have dinner with me, because that is the heart of God. Even for us personally, we act a fool. We do things we know we shouldn't, and we face the consequences of it. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't invite us back to the table that night. He is the best parent. He does not punish us. Discipline helps to restore us. 
Holiness is corrective. It brings about restoration in us. And if our parents didn't parent us that way, it's very hard to see the heart of God in the prophets. Even your parents did. It's still sometimes hard to see the heart of God in the prophets. But we have to look underneath what Isaiah is saying to catch who and what God is all about. And that is bringing people back to himself. Isaiah 28 to 39 he basically springs back to his present-day reality. So he goes from old, like this hasn't happened yet, back to today. And he comes against Hezekiah for two big things. So Hezekiah has an issue with Assyria. They're threatening to come and do all sorts of bad things to Judah. And Isaiah says, just trust God. Just trust him. I promise it's not going to fail you if you just trust him. And so Hezekiah is like, okay, fine, I will. And he does, and they have victory. The threat from Assyria goes on, and life is wonderful, and Hezekiah keeps doing his king thing. But then a threat from Babylon comes. And like the rest of us, Hezekiah is like, yeah, I know God was good back then, but I don't know if he's big enough for this moment right now. And Isaiah's like, just trust him. Um, and it doesn't work out, and ultimately Babylon comes and begins to just really threaten, and they become the major international power, and they will later take uh, Israel, or Judah out into exile. But within that issue with Hezekiah and the woes that Isaiah issues is the reality that mistrusting God is a systemic issue in Judah. Like the whole nation is struggling with this because the whole nation is turning to idols, those things that are not God. They're looking outside of God to get the things they only would find in God, which is fulfillment, safety, security, wholeness. And like we do that too. We turn outside, we're like, God, I just, I'm so lonely. I just want to be loved. And he's like, I can provide for you. And you're like, yeah, but that guy over there seems nice. And it's like, and God's like, he's not nice. <laughs> and we're like, but I'm still going to do it anyway. Or that, that, that dress, I don't know. I'm just coming up with all sorts of things that we might use as coping mechanisms when instead we should be turning to the Father. And Israel does the same thing. Judah does the same thing. Um, but the problem is God knows that when we trust idols, we become like the things that we trust because they're selfish desires that are pushing us away from him often. Like we're looking a selfish way to find a need, to meet a need. And so we become like those things. We become selfish and corrupt. And in fact, one commentary said the rich were just lying around getting drunk off the labor of the poor. I mean, Judah society just was crumbling under the weight of injustice. And so he says, Isaiah says, I won't be here for this, but just a heads up, like, you're going to go to Babylon, and it's not going to be great. He says in Isaiah 39, verses 5 to 6, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. The days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon, and nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And so the prophets, this section in particular in Isaiah, can be really challenging it can feel really judgmenty and, and angry and wrathful. And we have to remember the character and the heart of God as we read through these, if we are to have a proper understanding of what God is doing and what he is saying. And his, his holiness is corrective here. It's protective. It's a discipline that brings about freedom. It's God saying, hey, you're running into the road repeatedly and you've been hit by a few cars. Like, I'm not going to let you run into the road anymore. So you're going into a timeout and the kid crying, being like, I just want to run. And God's like, I'm not going to let you run anymore. So you're going to sit down until you are old enough to know that we don't play in traffic. 
Um, and it, you know, anytime we are disciplined, it feels really uncomfortable, just like it did for Judah. But we learn. We learn boundaries. We learn to respect ourselves. We learn our own self-worth through that, which is what God desires most. It is what God wants us to know is how deeply he loves us, how much he has given up for us. And he doesn't want us to be influenced and falling away from him because he knows that whenever we trust something that is not him, whenever we build our life on selfishness, whenever a country builds itself on selfishness, on the ways that are apart from God, it will always implode. Selfishness will never get you long-term what you want. The things will always collapse because injustice, corruption, greed are not a stable foundation for a person or a society or a community to live upon. And so even though we might think God is influencing those things, the reality is he tells us again and again in his word, if this is what you build your life on, it will fall apart. He tells that to the nations here, which I think is a really stark reminder for us as we watch our own country going through so many changes and turmoil right now is that a country built on selfishness, a country running on selfishness, cannot sustain. And sometimes, as Amer Christians living in America, whether this is your country of origin or not, we can easily be influenced this an idea that we have to, like, save our nation. And I don't know that that's always possible. I think what God calls us to do is to be salt and light, be modern-day prophets in the midst of our nation, and continue to work about true holiness, which is to be corrective, it's to be restorative, it's to, to talk and do the work of the Lord in the places that we live as we watch things fall apart around us, which is exactly what happened to the prophets. Remember, the prophets didn't save Israel or Judah. Those nations both crumbled. They were both exiled but they were faithful to say and do and live in the holiness of God themselves and be a living testimony to the people that they were called to. Because God is holy, we reap the consequences when we are not living in agreement with him, but because God is holy, his discipline leads to restoration. The two things go hand in hand. The two things work and operate simultaneously. And so true holiness, when we think about that, when we, when we read through the book and we read that God is holy and we think about what does that mean for our lives, true holiness is not only the things we refrain from. It's not just the stuff we don't do because we follow Jesus. It's not just maybe not getting wasted or not spending all your money really frivolously. It's also the things that we stand for. It's also the things that we live for. It's also the things we give ourselves to on a daily basis. True holiness. I think what Isaiah tells us, true holiness is living in alignment with God, set apart and different so that we are living in pursuit of the kingdom of God, speaking love to a selfish world and calling people to find their wholeness and their fullness in God and not in idols. And as we do that, what our life should reflect or look like is leaving a wake of righteousness, a, um, a wake of justice, of leaving footsteps of peacemaking and reconciliation and equality behind us. If we are truly living into the holiness of God, then what comes after us looks good. It looks like people's lives and communities being put back together, even if our nation continues to fall apart. Our responsibility isn't to save the world. It is to be faithful to the one who has saved us. 
And in, in that, if we are faithful, people will get put back together as we walk that out. And so I want to land with this because you're like, okay, that's fine, whatever. Why does this matter? Like, why is anything Isaiah says, why is the book of Isaiah relevant to our lives at all today beyond what I just shared? And it's because in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, we are told not to be conformed to who we were before, but because God, the one who called us is holy, we also are called holy. And he goes and he references parts in the Old Testament. It's repeated multiple times where God says, you shall be holy for I am holy which means the holiness and the way that we define that about God is our responsibility. We are accountable to live that same way today. It's not like an add-on. He says, if you're my people, if you have chosen to follow me, then I am calling you to live into the fullness of holiness just like I do. And so I want to land here because I don't want to just chatty chat I want us to take the rest of our time to just break into smaller groups. That could be the people sitting with you, so if you're near a person. If you want, like, young peoples, you can all do this together. But I want us to think about how that practically looks. If holiness is corrective, if it's discipline that leads us to uh, or restoration, if it's redemptive at its core, then what does that look like for me as an individual? I'm going to give you three minutes to answer that, and then we're going to think about it from more of like a corporate standpoint. But I'll give you just one idea before I break you apart for that. I was thinking about what holiness would look like, and the, the example that God brought to mind was choosing to leave a job that has repeated ethical violations and refuses to change even though they know what they're doing is wrong. That's how that could play out in modern-day times for us as individuals today. Yeah, I was just thinking of an example of like, what would it look like for me as an individual to be holy as God is holy? And maybe if you're working or living somewhere, Terry, where there are repeated ethical violations, where, where corporation is just abusing its workers, it's mistreating people, it could be the decision to say, we have addressed this, they refuse to hear it, and so I refuse to help them make money or make a profit, so I'm leaving. That's some, one of the ways that I feel like holiness could play out today. But I want you to think about it. So three minutes, chat with the people around you. What does it look like as an individual to be holy as God is holy? Practical stuff.
Try and take about 30 more seconds because I have one more question for us to chat about before we break for ministry time. All right, I'm going to call you back to begin to brainstorm as a larger group. Thank you, Robin. The music has ended. Your time is done. <laughs> so groups, group in the back. You're having a hearty conversation. What are you? Yeah, rock on. I don't know what the kids say. That's not what they say. They definitely don't say that. Um, what would it look like practically? How could this play out, us pursuing the holiness of God today? Group in the back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what did you just talk about the last two minutes, Dan? <laughs> what ideas did you come up with? Oh, Dan. Hmm. Good. Yeah, thanks, guys. Terry, what do you have? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good, Terry. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can all agree we've been there. I think that's great changing how we're yeah we're not responding the way that the people who are attacking us are responding we're not stooping down but we're like okay god what does justice look like in this moment yes also a really good reminder mm -hmm. that's great terry robin yeah oh thank you pam yes yeah jen Sure. 
sure. great example Jen yeah right mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a fantastic example I don't know if he is a person of faith but absolutely like even the ideas and the creativity of people deserve to be able to pay their bills if they work a full-time job I mean I I mean, to fight me on that, but I would have a conversation if you disagree. <laughs> Someone works 40 hours a week, they should be able to, to live. So, yeah, absolutely, that's a great example. I think it's a really good practical one, too, where we're not just thinking about holiness in this ethereal, vague way, like, God's holy, so I'll be holy, but, like, how does that actually impact how I live among my neighbors? How does that impact how I go to work or how I go to school or how I show up with my family? Um, and it could just be not stooping to the level that they function at. It could be taking a stand as the Lord leads you and saying, I'm not going to allow injustice to persist. It could be calling to account and saying, hey, listen, this isn't right. It could be breaking off party lines. Maybe you've always voted one way, and then you're like, nope, not doing that right now because that is not the heart of God, and I refuse, even though I've voted this way for my whole life, like I'm not going to do that because it's not the heart of God. You know, there's so many practical ways that holiness needs to be coming out of us. It's not just standing on the soapbox and yelling about sin. It's, it's practicing the presence of God in such a way that we live as a living testimony of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to have come to earth in the same way that Jesus did. Right? Jesus spoke truth. He upset a lot of people in power, but he left a trail of healthy people behind him. And ultimately, the Romans still came, and destruction still happened, and, and Israel's still struggling even in this, in this day and age to fully be realized as a nation. But Jesus, he wasn't worried about them as a nation. He was worried about the people that he came. And he says, if we can replicate that, that is holiness good all right I want to uh, all right time we have to honor the kids workers we're gonna wrap in just a moment I want to leave us with a question that you can take home with you and and shoot me an email maybe or a text message or a phone call <laughs> um, whatever your skills what would it look like for Spindle City Vineyard to be holy as God is holy I have some ideas on that but I think the church in America has poured itself out to politics and business and practices that are far outside of actual holiness. Um, and I think for a church to actually be holy like God is holy is a pretty difficult thing these days because we are so used to being so comfortable in our consumeristic society. Um, I think when we do begin to take a stand, it feels uncomfortable for those of us that are part of the family because we begin to do things that resist our culture and our comfort and our norms and it's stuff that can lead us into persecution which most of the time isn't something we're all like gunning for so I'd be really curious for you to think this through alongside me and, and just ponder that as we move forward um, but I want to just acknowledge what you guys said in the back because that was my last 
mini point before ministry time. <laughs> it's okay, I see you. Fine, Juju. Um, we're wrapping up, Suzanne, I promise. We're almost done. <laughs> She's like, subtly, are we done? <laughs> Release the kids. Um, no, it, holiness requires a purity of love. We are not going to become more holy because we memorize the entire Bible, because we do a Bible study 18 hours of every day, because we know all of the commandments, because we do whatever. We will become holy to the degree that we are connected to the heart of God. And that comes through relationship. And how you build your relationship with God could be through prayer and studying the word and worship and being here on Sundays and all those good things. But it also could be um, the time that you spend picking up garbage in your street or Rob connecting with his Muslim neighbors and having conversation and connection with them or Johanna's bus rides. Like, however you connect to God, yes, it's, that is what will help you to build in holiness. If it's just piety, then we'll just become modern-day Pharisees. If it's just the things I don't do because I'm a Christian, then that's not necessarily going to actually get us closer to the heart of God and living out holiness that is redemptive. Um, it'll probably just make us super legalistic. So guys in the back, spot on. Well done. That was exactly where I was going to land. Um, but we're going to move into ministry time now. We'll take just a couple minutes to really continue whatever the Holy Spirit wants to continue. I know he did a lot of ministry during worship. Um, but if you guys want to stand up, stretch your legs. Dan was leading exercises this morning, a little early morning kinesthetics. can do some spaghetti arms. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I just, we're going to be stuck on this topic for a long time. There are lots of angles. Holiness is like a pizza. We've had like a slice and a half so far, so we're going to get to eat the whole thing by the time we get to the end of the prophets, sort of. I'm sure there's more. There's more pizzas. Um, but just so that you know, like we're meditating on this, you know, we want to keep wrestling with it. We're not just looking for the right answers on Sunday. We want to know the heart of God. Um, so Holy Spirit, as we just wrap this part of Isaiah and move into the next, we just invite your presence to come. Yeah, we just invite you to come, Holy Spirit. want to challenge you if you were really engaging with him before just to go back into that place he's right there he hasn't gone anywhere so just yeah resume any conversation even that you were having during worship with thoughts How much more do you love us, Jesus? That's the refrain you're singing over this, this family in this moment, whether online or in person. How much more do you love me?
just want to say very clearly that God's not calling you to quote unquote be better. He isn't asking you to pull up your bootstraps and stop messing up. If that's what you hear this morning, that's not the Spirit speaking to you. His invitation from worship continues in this moment. Show up exactly as you are and let yourself be loved by him. That's where it's at today. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to keep coming. We just thank you for your presence. holiness in this moment is you letting God in a little bit further than maybe he was before. More, Lord. More. Yeah. We just bless what you're doing on Rob and Imani. There's definitely just like a Really subtle start in the back of the room. See him coming on Terry. Mm. Yeah. More, Lord, more. We just ask you to bless. We bless what's happening in the back, and we just ask it to increase and move, just spread, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. He just wants you to feel the love of heaven this morning. That's his heart. You're feeling empty or forgotten. God's here this morning to say, I see you. More, Lord. I think if you're not receiving, you might start getting prophetic words. They're for people in the room, so you can always look around and see who God calls you to. Just bless you to do that. Yeah. More, Lord, more. Turn up the heat, Jesus, more. Yeah. More, Lord. We bless what you're doing right now, Lord. Just bless your spirit on Erica and Mariana. He's starting to move forward through the room. Yeah. More, Lord. More. Yeah, Barb, yeah, we just bless what you're doing. More of your love, Lord. Let it come, let it come. your love come, Lord. However you want to do it, God. Tears are so healthy. We just bless however you want to show up, Lord. More, Lord. More. More.
I really want to challenge those of you that feel like you're maybe not super receiving from God right now, which is normal and fine, to look for someone to pray with. We've got folks who are really receiving quite heavily from the Lord right now, um, and our ministry sometimes comes by ministering to others. So I would just encourage you right now to, to look for those folks and start to bless them. Yeah. And I would challenge that some of the folks that are receiving are some of our strongest justice warriors. These are folks that have regularly stood against injustice, um, folks who have regularly resisted um, just stuff happening in communities. I see Rob, Erica, Mons, Ashley, amongst a few. And so if you see them, go lay hands on them and bless them because they are doing really hard work um, speaking truth. And so, hey, Julie. Let him pour stuff out, guys. Yeah. Father, we thank you for the fullness of your heart and the bigness of your heart for us. I thank you for the way that it stirs us into action. It stirs us into compassion, into empathy, into justice. It challenges us to not live for comfort, but to live for discomfort so that other people can be elevated to a place of just living. There's more here. There's more you're unpacking. And so we just ask your spirit to rest on us this week and to keep stirring us up towards true holiness as we spend time with you, Lord. Yeah, we want to